everybody, Ethan here. I received a request from my new awesome friend, Daniel, to do a interview of myself. Um, it was a pretty good time, so uh, we're going to drop this today. Hope everybody is doing really well. Hey, this is uh, Daniel Pointer with Carbon Star LLC in Carbon Neutral Indiana. And uh, my friend, Ethan Shapiro, we were introduced by my friend, Topher Anderson, who works with Citizens Climate Lobby in Indiana. And Topher's a good friend for a couple of years. And he said, you have got to meet my friend, Ethan. So we talked a couple of weeks ago and he just blew my mind. We're completely resonant on the same values. And so I asked Ethan if I could interview him and share with our email list, Carbon Neutral Indiana. Uh, Ethan, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hey, everyone. I'm Ethan. I'm, uh, I'm from New Jersey. I now live in Boulder, Colorado. What else do I want to say before I get into talking about my business? Um, I'm a very individualistic guy. I always like to kind of forge my own path, do my own thing. And I'm just uh, happy to be here talking to you. So, Ethan, I want to uh, start off by asking you questions about your, uh, uh, you know, 20,000 foot. If you had to pick like two or three values, what are your two or three values that are kind of your North Star for everything you do? Oh, I, I, all right. We're already getting started. I love it already. Um, I don't even. I don't even need to say two or three. It's really the biggest one for me. The, the it's really easy answer. It's called this theory called enlightened self interest, and it was put into words by this guy Alexis de Tocqueville, who he was a French philosopher studying the United States when it was first formed in the 18th century. Now he didn't take it as far as I do. It's actually very similar to like self-giving love the idea of giving back to others being like the ultimate form of life but essentially enlightened self-interest is the idea that considering others above yourself is the best way to serve yourself at the deepest and most fulfilling level and i kind of put that into words enlightened self-interest is just it was like if you serve your consumers the market will do better and then everyone does better was what tocqueville was saying i kind of took it down to a more individualistic level and um I, I like put it into words maybe like three or four years ago, and I've been living based on that kind of maxim, and I get validation from it every single day. When you're dedicating yourself to a life of service, I mean, you just feel amazing every single day, and you continue to progress and grow. So, I mean, shall I say another value, or is that is that good? <laughs> maybe we can go a little deeper into that one. What's a What are some concrete examples totally. in which maybe you didn't? appreciate that value and maybe some concrete examples in which you did appreciate it. I think I've always, okay. I think I've always appreciated that idea. I, you know, I, I'm really big on like taking abstract thoughts and putting them into words that anyone can understand. But um, as a young man, I don't even going to say as a young man, I'm very arrogant person. So reeling in my arrogance, it's really interesting. Um, how your greatest strengths and your greatest weaknesses are so like deeply connected. So like, I think my greatest strength is being confident and believing that anything is possible. You can do anything. I can do anything. But I also think my greatest weakness is thinking I'm going to get it all done now. I don't need any help. I can do it myself. So as far as on the enlightened self-interest stuff, well, I'll, I'll tell a story. Um, back when I was in college, my freshman year, I was there, I was at the peak of my arrogance. I had just started taking philosophy classes and I was like getting the tools for logic that I'm like, I can make an argument and beat anyone in an argument. Um, so me and my friends, I'll make it quick. Me and my friends went to like a pub 
and got like burgers and fries. And I split a thing of fries with like my best friend, Daniel, shout out Daniel Greenstein. And um, we were, you know, we we're all really stoned and eating food and stuff. And um, I split the fries with him, but I like, I would eat them really, really, really fast. And then Daniel like looked away for like, you know, five minutes or whatever. And he looked back at the French fries we were supposed to split and they were all gone. And he was like, Ethan, like, what the hell, man? Like, you, you ate all the French fries. Like, what's up? What's on? And I was like, so arrogant. I'm like, all right, I'm going to make up an argument for why he was wrong. And I actually deserve to eat all the French fries. I'm like, hey, man, like it was right there in front of you and like, blah, blah, blah. So back when I was like, that's like when I was like 18, I'm 24 now. Um, I, I like would always try to rationalize my way that I was like, right. But um, what was really valuable in that situation and why I bring it up is when I was able to, I was like, okay, if I'm not Ethan and I'm a third party person looking at this situation who just watched like a movie of like me eating the French fries, what would that person think of me? And I'm like, oh, you're a dick. So, so I, I found that like, you know, trying to take yourself out of your own perspective is really useful for getting like a, I don't know, helping your like ethical decision-making because it's hard to see yourself. Um, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. For somebody who's not familiar, uh, who is Alexis de Tocqueville and why is he important to us today? He's actually not. I mean, I don't know too much about him. I know that he was studying the U.S. either right before the French Revolution or right after the French Revolution. And he's a philosopher. Like I like to consider myself a philosopher, coming up with ideas about what is life, what does it mean to live a good life, all that stuff. He was doing that. I mean, there were people, there are still are people today who just, you know, spent their whole life just thinking about what is thought? What is life? How do we live a successful life? And he was studying the U.S. from abroad. So he, again, that third party perspective. And he's like, why is this nation doing so, so well? And his conclusion was this idea of enlightened self-interest, considering up, not, it was like considering the other person you to serve while you're acting so uh, people think that corporations because we have this um this dickhead milton friedman who came in in the 80s and proposed these theories that it's all about short shareholder supremacy shareholder supremacy but really the idea of a corporation is to create value for everyone and the tocqueville was looking at this and he's like these corporations in the u.s everyone's like trying to create more for the people around them they do better because they're trying to give more than they uh, receive. And I think we'll get into that a lot in this conversation. I'm really obsessed with these ideas of regeneration, creating more than you take. Um, and it's so obvious in nature, in business, in your life. You, you start off as just you and then you build a family. Like that's what the Tocqueville was kind of observing. I don't think he's all that famous, but he coined the term enlightened self-interest and I kind of modified it to an individualistic level. And it, it just rings true every day. And the fact that we started talking about climate last time and we went, we talked about Alexis de Tocqueville, that's an example why I wanted to interview you because his name isn't mentioned a lot. I mean, it, um, a, a professor of political science once told me that you could get a PhD today in political science just by studying one page of his Democracy in America and going deep into that page. And there's a time when he's, he's referenced at least every week in some editorial page in some newspaper in, in the country. And the reason why I like him is because as an outsider, um, he was able to basically discern the essence of Americanism better than anybody. And it still resonates today. 
So I think that's really cool that you uh, referenced that enlightened self-interest. Is there a close runner-up for a second value that's been important to you? Freedom. Um, the ability, the, um, so I took this whole class on freedom, shout out Ajume Wingo. He was my professor. That was awesome. And I wrote a whole paper on freedom and there were these ideas of negative freedom and positive freedom. Oh God. I, 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 you asked me for a second. I, I love both of those ideas. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely just freedom broadly. And then when I took a whole class on what does it mean to be free and essentially the biggest, um, mechanism for thinking about it was like, Negative freedom is freedom from coercion. And that's like American freedom. Like nobody's telling you what to do. You can do whatever you want. No one's putting up a wall or a fence or imposing restrictions on you. That's the way most people think about freedom. Freedom from restriction versus positive freedom is like freedom from your lower self. And I'm obsessed with like both of these ideas, actually. I'm just, I'm just realizing now. Positive freedom is a little more confusing. Um, you know, a Christian might say, you know, uh, freedom from the, the devil or something, but like in a more, you know, what's it called? Secular view of looking at it. Your, your lower self is kind of like the person you don't want to be that you're maybe you're animalistic or your, your upbringing has trained you to be. And your higher self is like the ultimate self. And I, and I love that idea of like the ultimate self, like who's the best person you could possibly be. So positive freedom would be freedom from the constraints of like your lower self. Like if you want to lose weight and you always eat a bunch of Twinkies, like your lower self is the one that really wants the Twinkies. Your higher self is the one who wants to be fit and live a healthy life and have a clearer mind. So I, I spent a lot of time, I haven't even used the phrase positive freedom in a while, but I spend a lot of time working on being free from the person I don't want to be is one way to look at it, or striving towards that ultimate self. So those are two, two sides of freedom that you can look at it. Most people will, will, will focus on the negative freedom, which I think is really, really important. But someone like a stoic philosopher, um, they, they say like, don't care about anything and you'll always be good. That's like more like positive freedom. But um, yeah, free. Yeah. You, you gotta be free, man. You gotta do whatever you want. Have a good time. What um, if in terms of your higher self, what kind of person do you want to be in this conversation? Like this podcast, like right now, yeah, right now in the next 30 minutes, um, what kind of person is your higher self? What do you want to be? Oh, oh, okay. So, so who do I want to be? Not who do I want to like appear in the conversation? Just yeah. What kind of, what's your, what is your higher self and how do you want it to be in this podcast? Okay. So I'll, I'll kind of take that, take that in two phases. I'll say, who, who do I want to be? I want to be someone who doesn't waste my opportunities in life, waste the opportunity. I feel so, so lucky. My dad's a traveling jewelry salesman. My mother is an art entrepreneur. I come from an art entrepreneurial family. My dad's a big advocate of the negative freedom as well. He likes, you know, he's been working for himself for 30 years. He likes to do what he wants. Um, but I'm so lucky to have had food, a, a big house and a pool to, to swim in. As a kid, I went to summer camp. I had an educational background. I, I like scored well on tests. I, I like, I have like, I'm, I'm like a um, generally intelligent person. I, I'd like to say I'm not too smart, but I'm not like below average. Um, so I just feel like there's a huge opportunity in my life. And, and the, the other big thing is I'm, rigid on freedom so nobody can there's a lot of like 
systems that are trying to control you, even though America is a very free place, there are marketing people that are trying to get in your mind. Your mom's telling you what to do. Your friends are trying to bring you down to their level so they don't feel as bad as themselves. Um, I don't have any of that stuff. I really do whatever I want every single day. So once I reach that point, it's like, what do you want to do? And I really just want to squeeze every single ounce out of my life. And for me, that's just how can I serve as many people as possible? And I think a lot of people in our in our generation do want to do this. They really people really do want to serve. They want to make an impact and make the world a better place. I keep finding like I listened to the um, Mr. Beast podcast on Joe Rogan uh, this week. That guy like has done such amazing things, but like not only does he want to like do what he wants, but he also like he has the beast philanthropy. He has this idea of feeding everyone on the planet with his money. Like I think it's going to be more and more common that the whole like Milton Friedman, 1980s greed people are going to like slowly and slowly come out of fashion or maybe even quickly. And I think, I don't know, I really believe in, in the positive potential for the future, specifically from our generation. Um, Every day I want my actions to lead towards a happy life for someone else. Like my personal why statement, I guess is the best way to sum this up is like, I, I believe I'm made to meet clear needs for others so that we all can live a, uh, a meaningful, not a meaningful life, meet clear needs so that we all can, uh, you know, have a good time. So I see myself as a, a vessel to, you know, get the stuff done that needs to get done so other people can have a good time. Um, and the second part, how do I want to appear in this podcast? Just genuine, you know, if it's like you're asking, like, how do I want to appear to people? Like, these are all ideas just coming out of my head. Like, this is just really who I am. I've spent a long, long time about thinking who I, about who I am and what I want to be. Um, so I just want people to, I don't know, appear real. I want to actually speak my mind genuinely, I guess, if that answers. So you said that um, your parents were entrepreneurs both. Uh, what, what does entrepreneurship mean to you and why is it awesome? My grandfather was an entrepreneur as well. Uh, he, he had his own electronic repair shop. An entrepreneur is someone who forges their own path. I, I love the, the Steve Jobs quote. I'm going to paraphrase. I don't really remember it exactly. But um, once you look around the world and you realize that everything in the world is systems that have been made by people who are no smarter than you and that you can poke it and something else will come out the other side. That, that's entrepreneurship. That's when you realize that you can actually make an impact by getting up every day and trying to do something. Um, and an entrepreneur would be someone who creates more value to others, really. I mean, you can't work for yourself unless people are willing to buy your products or your services. So you have to come up with a way to create more value or some same amount of value that another competitor might be making but without having an external overhead person yeah someone who comes up with with ideas a trailblazer um god there's better there's better words for explaining entrepreneurship but it's a lot about innovation creativity and just creation just making new things i really think entrepreneurs are like artists they put their heart and soul into a project. And when it manifests, when you listen to a song, you can hear the emotions of the artist. When you work, when you do business with an entrepreneur's company, 
that's kind of like their you're like man you're like meshing with their essence you know i don't know <laughs> so you like it because it, it comes back to the this idea of serving as many people as you can providing value for them and then they voluntarily in exchange for the value that you've created for them they voluntarily without any coercion or negative freedom they voluntarily give you some some money for the value you've created and then you just keep rinse repeat and you expand and serve as many people as possible it sounds like that's, that's why a, you like the entrepreneurship that's essential it has to be voluntary that's one of the things i love about that and um what i don't like about politics is politics is about telling people what to do and imposing restrictions and um, an entrepreneurship is about creating something that's better that people can choose to obviously pick, um, which I'm sure we'll get into about climate change realty. But um, yeah, I got to be honest, the, re the initial reason why I wanted to get into entrepreneurship is because I didn't want people telling me what to do. Because as soon as you get into kindergarten, they're like, go over there, do this get the crayons. You got to get an A. If you don't get an A, we're going to give you a C and then you're going to get put in the average level classes. Do this, do this, do this. And I, I hated that so much from the very beginning. My mom says that when I was a kid, um, she would like, we would drive somewhere as soon as we'd stop that I would open the door and I would fly out and I would just like run, run, just start running and running and running. And then like, that's not like cool for like people like get hit by a car or whatever. Like they're always trying to like tell you what I, I hated being a child. I really, I was so excited. I mean, the anxiety built up, built up so much to the point. As soon as I turned 18, I packed up all my stuff and I got out of Ringwood, New Jersey and I just went and I've been going ever since. Um, school, tells you what to do this is what you do this is how you do it i i've all even college it's the same thing i've just been eager to to be able to just go out and create something and not be told what to do um i gotta be honest that's the main thing that brought me to entrepreneurship and once i had a clear path of how to make money that's when i started getting into like the enlightened self-interest like who am i what do i really want to do now that i can do what i do what i want to do what do i actually want to do because before you're 18 I mean, I hate it, man. You're literally someone's property. I, I, I really don't like that. I really believe in unleashing people's freedom to do what they want, even at a young age. Can you, I want to talk a lot. I want to talk a little bit now about um, how you manage your, your, your intellectual life and how you manage your studies. How do you manage your growth? So obviously one way that you are growing and learning is through your podcast. Um, why did you do a podcast? Why not just go to the library and read a book? Or what's the role of a podcast in your learning? How do I manage my intellectual life? I definitely don't consider myself too much of an intellectual, but perhaps some might. Um, first off, I read every day. Um, but for me, um, reading is, is hard. I have to be disciplined and sit there and focus and take notes and think about it. And it uses a lot of calories, but, um, but listening and talking, as you might be able to tell, is pretty easy for me and it's no big deal. Um, so first off, why did I start the podcast? Um, well, the world decided that we sh shouldn't be uh, going out and talking and meeting new people anymore in 2020, which I, um, we're not going to get into that. But um, in, in, at that point, I was with my friend Bailey Canning, and we were both, were both entrepreneurs. And we're like, hey, you ever thought about starting a podcast? 
And I'm like, oh, that would be really cool. And I'll be honest, the, the reason I started the podcast is twofold. Number one, I wanted to, eh, I guess there's more than just two. There's, there's a million reasons to start a podcast. It is a blast. But um, the number one reason was to network and meet new people to help grow my business. That was the reason I started the podcast. The second reason is because I didn't know anything about climate change and my business, Climate Change Realty, which we haven't spoke about, gives ha- donates half of its money to nonprofits working on fighting climate change. So what I wanted to do was speak to people who were experts on the topic and figure out how to best use the money to fix the problem. Um, and then from there, I realized, I mean, I can just hit up anyone. I sent out 12 emails this morning. You can hit up anyone and be like, hey, want to come on the podcast? And then you can, and because I don't work for CNBC or any corporation, again, negative freedom, I can ask them whatever I want. I can throw random questions out. Now, some people, you know, I like to give people the questions beforehand, but if something comes to my mind during an episode, I can just ask them and it's a true blessing. So it's kind of expanded beyond something else. Um, You want some more about, about learning? Um. The world's a pretty amazing place and there's you, there's an unlimited amount of things to learn. When I was in college, I focused on investment, how to make money, and then I just smoked a bunch of pot. So I wasted my time and I, I focused on the things that like the traditional kid focuses on. You just, you know, parties and, and girls and money. But that stuff is really like surface level. Like it's not going to get you long-term meaningful fulfillment in life. Um, once I got out of college, you get out of that phase, you start thinking about who am I, who do I really want to be? Um, the podcast is, is great for that because you can ask other people, who are you? Um, and how did you become who you are today and why, and what can I learn from you so I can integrate more better ideas into my journey. And that's a lot with the podcast is it's about getting specifically the thesis was a little mixed in the beginning how to use business, how to, to solve climate change, how to solve climate change. And I wanted to, I really want to promote discourse because I don't believe in silencing people at all. I really believe in letting someone ex- express their opinions. But at this point, the podcast is really more about um, getting someone's personal perspective on how we can improve our world. And there's, that's a never ending conversation that can always be had because um, regardless of what some people may say, the world's always getting better, in my opinion. Evidence shows that um, it might, you know, just like the market, it might go up and down. But if you look at market trends, whoop, it's going up. So you can learn a lot from having a one-hour conversation from someone. And I feel really, really blessed and privileged to have that opportunity. So some of the reasons were, you know, we had the lockdown from the pandemic. And then you wanted to grow your business. And for you, your learning style, just conversational, that's how you learn best. And then also you wanted, you, you've got this awesome business, which we're going to go to in a minute, where you give a huge chunk of your profit to, uh, for climate philanthropy, which is awesome. Um, but you didn't know where to give the money. So you wanted to educate yourself about the best places to invest your climate philanthropy. And then more generally, as you're growing from a, a boy to a man, a selfish boy to a generous man, you're trying to learn from other people. How did they grow into a, a, the better person? That's absolutely right. Is there anything anything that you've changed your mind about um, since you started the podcast? 
Is there anything I haven't changed my mind about since I started no, the you, podcast? Anything, any way you've changed your mind since the beginning of the podcast? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding, man. Is there anything I, I haven't changed my mind about? There, <laughs> there's a, there's just an endless amount of information to learn, and it can be really, really numbing. Like I'm, I'm now explaining this story um, for anyone who's like very climate focused and is listening to this interview. You're familiar with the idea of climate anxiety, where you think the world's going to end and then everything sucks, and like. I'm totally on, I was totally, I totally get that. I wasn't going to say I'm on that vibe because I'm not there anymore. But when I started the show, I started by talking to climate scientists. Um, and then, and then I got deep into the understanding the issue and I got really, I got like really anxious. I'm like, Oh no, like everything's going to be destroyed. Like this sucks. But then I continued the show and I started talking to innovators and entrepreneurs and people who are dedicating their lives to tackling this issue. And then I realized, wow, all the solutions are there. And we just need more support for them, which we'll get into with the business. That's kind of like the, the main mission of the business. But um, the support is there, too. There's millions of people getting into this issue every single day. We're really taking it seriously. Um, so what did I what have I changed my mind on in the podcast? I don't I am the opposite of an absolutist thinker. I am a very lean thinker. And now lean is a big you know entrepreneurship term. But beyond that. Um, Again, that arrogance that I've been, I've been working on tackling that since I was 18 and I came back from college with my, you know, my philosophy skills, like I'm going to out argue everyone. And we used to actually play this game at home, like in the summer where we'd get like, it'd be like everyone versus Ethan and Ethan would take one position and everyone would take another. And I'd try to out argue everyone. Like I was really bad. And there came a moment where like, I like freaked out and yelled at everyone and totally killed the vibe and everyone left my house. And I'll never forget that moment. Cause I'm like, why did that happen? Like, you're the reason that happened. You need to, you need to think about like how you need to think about like why you can do that kind of stuff, why you can get so mad and think you're so right that you like ruin everyone else's time. And from there, I've, I've been really, really trying to not be absolutist. And then when I went to um, Australia, I read meditations by Descartes and it's one of my favorite uh, philosophical works. Um, just to start off saying, I don't know anything. What, what can I know for sure? And um, he, he says, uh, the cogito, you know, I think therefore I am. But uh, me, me personally, I don't, even, I don't even buy into that. I'm like, all right, we don't know anything. You can never be 100% sure about anything. But you have to, um, in practice, you have to actually be a human and think that two plus two equals four and that the sun will come up. So I take that, I take that in my life. Um, but I always hold that, you know, that little grain of skepticism in every single thing that anyone says, including myself. So um, I didn't really have any preconceived notions about climate change or about how to fix the world. I just knew that I wanted to be a part of it and I wanted to use my my pr privilege, my position to to go about doing that. So, I mean, if you listen to the show, you'll hear me say like, Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I got to stop saying that. I just like, a, it's a phrase that I say, but um, I really want to give people a chance to, to say what they think and, and get their ideas out. And if I disagree with them, you'll hear me kind of push back a little bit, but usually I try to let them get all their ideas out. So the show is not about me. It's about the guests. It's about hearing what their ideas are. And then you, the audience have the opportunity to decide what you think, you know, fact checkers at some point would be cool to like have in the show, but um, specifically something I've changed my mind on in the podcast, there's, there's just too much to go into. I mean, 
maybe instead of particular ideas, what about this underlying emotional thing where you used to have climate anxiety and it's transformed into what? And why did it transform? Well, I'm a, I'm what they call a naive optimist, just generally. I mean, I, I think too positively about things. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start climate change realty. We're going to make a million dollars in two years. I'm going to donate half of, half a million dollars. Everything's going to be great. I just generally tend towards naive optimism. But um, the climate stuff has hard data that really can go along with it. Like you increase greenhouse gas emissions, average global temperature goes up, sea levels rise, whatever. And it's a little less hard when you get to consequences but when it comes to inputs like there's no doubt the temperature is rising because of greenhouse gas emissions when you talk about what's going to happen after that it's a little more loose but you know people you know exactly like like markets right what do markets hate more than anything else it's uncertainty so humans are the same way but um life is uncertain um the anxiety it was just like there was other personal stuff going on. Like I, I've been going through some solid evolutions. Like I'm completely clean and sober now. Like I, as I've mentioned several times, I was a daily like pot smoker for many years. And now I'm just coming up on a year sober and I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't even really watch TV or any of that stuff. Um, so there was kind of that mixed with coming to grips with the reality of the ecological crisis that we're facing. Okay. The big thing is, so my company is Climate Change Realty. We focus on climate change solutions. And we, so our mission is to support a business-oriented solution to the most pressing challenges of our time so that future generations can focus on the distinct challenges of their time. Um, in my opinion, the most pressing challenge of our time is um, this mass extinction event going on, the loss of biodiversity. But specifically, the company focuses on climate change because more people are on board with that because they like see that if the world gets flooded, it'll, it'll affect them. But really, when it comes to pressing, like things we need to take action on today, it would be oh, it'd be really great if we could like not let all the animals go extinct and like kill everything else off because um, that has a lot of negative externalities and negative consequences from that. So learning about mass extinction is really when I hit like my bottom peak of like being like, Oh God, like humans are suck. I mean, you can go back and watch my birthday. The one year anniversary of the podcast is when I was kind of like hitting that low, like, Oh, and that's actually when I just, when I, when I got sober right, right then and there um, is uh, like 70% of insect biomass has disappeared in 20 years. Like a statistic like that, like, if all the insects insects weighed a hundred pounds, there's only thirty left in the last twenty years. Like that's insane. Like we're killing everything, and I am not cool with it. But um, we got to move forward. We can't just dwell on like the things we're doing wrong because then you don't do anything. You just get anxious. Um, so I I talk to people who are taking action, and it makes me feel really happy and optimistic because I because I know the power that one person can have on the planet. And how they can create an organization if they're an entrepreneur, or they can be the essential person in the company who pulls it from, you know, doing okay to maybe like kicking ass. Like if, if there's a sales team, right, um, and one person is doing really, really well, like they're running the sales team, like they're keeping the business alive. Like I really believe one person can make a difference. But the mass extinction stuff people aren't aware of, of the Anthropocene extinction event, it's really sad because i've always loved like animals as well like when i was a kid i used to say i wanted to be like a zookeeper but um 
not it's not cool man we're like we really we're like murdering them with our our life choices i'm i'm not about it so there's there was a lot of anxiety so one big thing was you got sober and then the other thing was you started mm-hmm. talking to people who were actually doing something and then you started getting swept away with the doing something and you transformed your act your anxiety into action um has anything surprised you along the way as as you've done your podcast Has anything surprised me along the way? Um, Actually, yeah. You think that people would be dogmatic when they're dedicating their lives to a topic. But I've actually found that most people aren't super rigid set in their beliefs. They're more more likely to be like me, like fluid. Like they're not going to tell me what to do, even if they are like the climate advocate of like the climate nonprofit, like they're not going to be like tis, tick, tis, like this is what you have to do. Some people are like that. But um, most people, like if the, you read their title and they're like, oh, this person's going to be like super preppy, like they're going to like know what to do. But most of them are like, no, like we're all going to figure this out together. And, you know, I don't even think that's because that's the best way to do it. I think people genuinely do have humility. I think I think when you live 40, 50 years, you just get humbled so many times, like by the French fry incident, for example, like the stuff like that's going to happen over and over again. So it's really hard for you to hold this. I'm right. You're wrong all the time attitude. Cause it's just not, the world's just going to beat you, beat you down with reality at a certain point. That's something that, that surprised me, I think, but it's, that's a great surprise. You know, what else has surprised you? What else has surprised me in life through the podcast? Um, I would say one thing that's really important is when I reach out to someone to have no no preconceived notion. Again, you read their title and you think they're going to be this like fix the tie kind of person, and they're like, "Hey, man, like what's?" And nobody nobody says like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" Like I do, but like sometimes they're like really different than you'd think. You see their picture, you know, because like you can when you see a picture of someone, you get like a, a vibe from them right away, and like they might have to propagate that that you know that image for some reason but then when you get the person to talk you know sometimes they're like really different or like they're really cool um i'm like for example i interviewed this this journalist shay castle in, in boulder um she runs the boulder beat and um i thought she was going to be like like really rigid and intense but she was like really like laid back and cool and also like super badass at the same time. So I was like, whoa, like, uh, like she was like really cool. And I was just like, okay, like awesome. Like I was like, in, I was like impressed. Like she's killing it, but she's not like, like I'm right. You're wrong. She was like, like chill about it, but also like reporting like good news and like providing commentary and being sharing her perspective and like doing it with confidence, but not like I'm better than you confidence. Like let's get to the truth confidence. Let's share the information like a good journalist would. For example, I, I loved I loved talking to her. Um, any other surprises? It's yeah, it's more like I really try to have no. That's why I don't like to meet with people before I interview them because I try. To, I like to have no preconceived notions at all before the interview, and then I get in there and it's like, oh, this person's like that, like hmm, pretty cool. I'm usually, I mean, more than nine times out of ten, I'm pleasantly surprised by people, and I like to keep that trend going. So maybe you can uh, give us your pitch. What, what's your current uh, business 
What's its mission? What do you hope to accomplish? All right. Hey, everyone. I'm Ethan. I'm the founder of Climate Change Realty. We're on a mission to support a business-oriented solution to the most pressing challenges of our time so that future generations can focus on the distinct challenges of their time and our how. So I, I love Simon Sinek and his format of explaining a company in why it exists, how you propagate your mission, and what you do. My how is to elevate the voices of individuals and corporations that are working on decarbonizing the economy and removing carbon waste from the biosphere. Decarbonation would be creating processes that don't increase CO2 levels in the atmosphere, and removing carbon waste would be taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. My, uh, my, my current methodology for, for creating solutions to problems using the market is to focus on doing that because that I think will help the largest number of people. And what we do is we connect people with real estate agents nationwide, source a referral fee, and then donate half of those fees to a 501c3 nonprofit environmental organization of your choice. All of the organizations are available at www.ccrboulder.com under resources and nonprofits or organizations. I think it's nonprofits and you can see the list and you can think about it like this. If you want to buy a home in Indiana, what you do is you fill out a form on ccrboulder.com. I think I'm going to change the, the website name to ccrealty.org soon. But um, And then what we'll do is we'll find you an expert in your specific area. Let's say you're looking to buy a home in uh, Indianapolis. Or is that, is that in Indiana or is that in like the neighboring state? I think it is in Indiana. Um, what I'll do is I'll find a, an agent specifically tailored to your needs, whether you want a green realtor or you want someone who has a more philanthropic nature like my company or others. There are a lot of realtors that, that do that. Or you just want someone who's an expert in the neighborhood who can get you what you want. We'll connect you with them. And normally they might make $10,000 helping you buy a home. We're going to take a fee of 5000 from them and you're going to get to donate half of that five. So $2,500 to an environmental nonprofit. And it's all free for you. It's free to find an agent. It's free to donate $2,500. You can end up being, it'll be somewhere between $500 and $750 per $100,000 worth of real estate that you buy or sell. And it comes out of the, it comes out of my pocket and it comes out of the realtor's pocket. So it's all free. And when you're a buyer, you're usually, usually the, the buyer's agent is being paid by the person selling the house anyway. So it's free for the buyer. So I just, it's a really great way to empower the consumer and allow them to get what they want and also help the client at the same time. I, I think it's pretty cool if you ask me. So my understanding of it is, is it'll, you're building a referral network where anyone, mm -hmm. when they're looking for a realtor to buy or sell, they can go to your, your organization. You'll connect them to somebody that you've pre-screened. And this person has already agreed that in exchange for the referral, they're going to give half of the fee to your organization. And you take half of that and give it to whatever climate philanthropy that, that, or nonprofit the buyer wants. Do you have any um, idea? First of all, is that correct? That, that's absolutely correct. Okay. Well, I, start, I started off by selling homes just in Boulder, Colorado, and donating half of my own commissions. And I saw this opportunity to allow anyone in the country to utilize this same model. Okay, so you started off as a standard realtor in Boulder, Colorado, and you took half of your proceeds and donated it? 30K so far. And that's awesome. And so you're, uh, and you were thinking like, how can I do an even bigger impact? And so the bigger impact is why just focus on Boulder, do this for the whole country. 
That's exactly awesome. right. Um, do you have any idea about the the total addressable market? Like how much, how many fees are there in the country? What's the what's going on in the real estate market? How how big is this? Like how big could this get? If I'm putting every, you on the spot. But... No, I've got the data, man. Okay. <laughs> it's something I look into. The total oh, wow. addressable <laughs> market is somewhere between two to 2.5, two to 2.5 trillion dollars of real estate exchanged each year. In the US. And of that, in the United States of America. God okay. bless America. Um, yeah. And realtors will earn a fee of five to 6% of that on the exchange. So let me explain. A seller's agent will charge their, per, their client five to 6%. Let's make it six to be simple. And be, with that fee, the seller's agent's going to market the home, help them sell the home, cover the negotiations. Mm -hmm. So you hire someone to sell your house, the person selling is paying 6%. Half of that 6% is being paid to a buyer's agent as well. So the buyer who's the, the agent who's working for the buyer is getting paid 3%. The person who's working for the seller is getting paid 3%. So if you multiply 2.5 trillion by 6%, you're going to get some outrageous number 100, like 120 billion dollars. Yeah. Boom. I was right I was right on the money. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool that I just didn't know that. I so I know so I I had a go ahead. So 2 to 2.5 two trillion right. of real estate is exchanged every year in the US. About 6% of that goes to the buyer or the seller and that's 120 billion with a B. Yeah. Um, and that's just going to go up because the home values continue to increase each year. So it peaked out at 2.5 trillion in 2021. It'll probably come down a little bit this year, I think. Um, but it'll be above 2 trillion for the rest of our lives. Um, so I have one statistic from those numbers that I can pull. I already said like 120 billion. If um, So 41% of buyers in 2021 found their realtor with a friend, family, from friend, family, or relative. If those same 41% of buyers found their agent with my company, we would have donated $12 billion to support climate action. Now, to put that in perspective, the oil and gas lobby is spending $80 million in, in Congress to lobby the government so they can keep uh, raping our planet. Um, we could destroy them if everyone, but of course you can't get everyone but if you get, if we, if my company got like 1% of uh, maybe just buyers, I think it, I think it would be like either somewhere between like half a billion and $1.5 billion donated. So that would be 1%, which is a lot of, of people. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's pretty, it's a pretty big, big opportunity. I mean, it's not as big as like down the line, I'd love to start like a financial services company. Cause that's, uh, has like no end. And those are the greediest bastards on the planet. So to integrate a 50% donation model of their fee. So it's not even like 50, they, they just charge really big fees to like help people move money around. Uh, if we, I would love to do something like that down the line um, to really just money should be used to make the world a better place. That's like the point of your money. You spend it, you spend it, you make more money. So you can help more people and, and create a better world. 
Now, people get critical about guys like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos, but the way they get to where they're doing is that because they've created immense value for the whole planet. Like, you can't argue it with that with a guy like um, Bezos. Like, he might not treat his employees as good as people want, and I understand that, and I, I appreciate that perspective. But when you look at the company Amazon, they've changed the way we buy pro- and sell products. And I can get this curtain in two days. You can buy anything across the world and empowers also local entrepreneurs who can start selling things on their way. I don't know. I don't want to get into the billionaire conversation. But but point being, people make money from providing value. That's that's the point of, of business. Um, my value, the easiest thing I could come up with was this uh, philanthropic model. But let me, let me in, interlude a little piece here. Um, there's a list of nonprofits people can choose from, but if you listen to my uh, my mission statement, it's supporting a business oriented solution to the most pressing challenges of our time. So um, pretty soon here, within the next year or two, I'm going to set up a foundation. Okay, I don't know what to call it. I, I literally wrote it down the other day. I'm like, maybe we'll call it the Enlightened Foundation, but um, I won't make any money from it. People, I'll add, I'm going to add my foundation to the list of nonprofits, and what that foundation is going to do is it's going to grant, meaning give money for free to businesses that are working on improving our planet, specifically on, on carbon for the next couple decades, at least until we get this thing under control. But um, so that'll give people the opportunity to work in the, uh, you know, the, the nonprofit philanthropic side, or you can choose to use your money to empower entrepreneurs or businesses that are working on stuff. And normally like angel investors, capitalists want, they invest so they can get a return. I don't need a return from these businesses. I just want to empower, you know, elevate the voices and the ability of people who are doing something similar to myself or, you know, are operating on that same enlightened self-interest principle. So uh, that'll be climate change realty down the line. That foundation will be set up at some point. And it's not like going to be like a BS foundation, like people criticize the Gates Foundation. Like, I'm not going to make any money from it. I'm never going to take a salary from it. 100% of the dollars that go to that foundation are going to go to other companies that are working on solving the most pressing challenges of our time. So I did some quick math. Roughly, if 1% of the real estate transactions in, in, in Indiana um, went through your organization for referrals, that would generate about 10 to $20 million just in Indiana for Indiana perhaps for climate organizations in Indiana. I don't know to what extent you'll capture 1%, but that's just an example. A tiny, tiny amount could be a huge, from what I can tell, um, Indiana climate groups are getting about half a million a year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so something like 20 million would be a game changer. Um, Can you explain a little bit more about, oh, what were you saying? And I would just say interlude into that. Um, If 20 million is being donated, what do you think I'm going to do with the other 20 million that the company's making? I'm not going to take, I haven't, I haven't said this yet. I'm going to, my salary is going to be capped at $30,000 a year after tax pegged to inflation. So the lifestyle that I have now, I'm going to keep the same. So each year as inflation goes up, so I have this two bedroom apartment in Boulder. I eat organic food. I go to a really awesome gym, shout out crunch fitness in Boulder. We're giving all the shout outs today. Um, this is not about me making money and building wealth and blah, 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 blah. This is all about the mission. So when, when 20 million is donated, it's not like the other 20 million is going into the pockets of, um, the executives. It's all being reinvested to create more donations. Now it's not about 
creating donations. This, this business is not about how much we can donate. It's about how many people we can get involved in solving this issue. And this is an opportunity for you as a consumer to do something. You have a free choice. You don't have to use my service, but you have the opportunity to, to get extra value and help the world at the same time for free. That's what it's about. It's about getting this to as many people as possible. So maybe when they finish buying their house and they donate $2,500 to a nonprofit, they're like, hmm, I could do something similar. Ethan's not that smart and creative. Sorry, are you the, 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 the pay for the build up effect? Yeah. yeah so they'll do I'm it not once that, and they'll continue to do it. Well, I'm not that unique, smart, or creative. All I'm doing is a sales business and giving half of the money away. It's not that innovative a concept like creating a solar panel or doing a um a mineralization project or a direct air capture project those are genuine geniuses engineers and scientists they need our help they need our funding um and if you're a consumer and you buy a house and you see that that my my service works you can just it's like what's stopping you from going out and doing something similar this this millennial gen z like why don't I call it the enlightened generation, whatever you want to call it, people who care, it's going to continue to grow. We're seeing trends in people wanting to create a positive impact. You can capitalize on that opportunity. And if you want to become rich from it, sure. Like go ahead, help people and become rich at the same time. That's what most like billion, that's what a lot of uh, people do. But um, yeah, just it's, you can create anything you want. You can do it. You can make an impact. And my, my business allows people to see like, hey, something simple. It's like half the commissions are donated. Half is pretty, I don't know. I've, yeah, it's just, it's about the people. It's about how many people we can reach. It's not about how much money we can donate, you know? There's a, you said you can do anything you want. The, my, when I got married and I, I danced with my mother on the dance floor, um, they asked me what song do I want to play? And I picked a song by Cat Stevens. You know Cat Stevens? He was from the 60s. The child arrived just the other day. Yeah. Came yeah, well, to this, the world in the usual way. <laughs> the, the song that I picked was If You Want to Sing Out. So if you haven't heard that song, check it out afterwards. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Um, there's one thing I was curious about is like you kind of got into this journey to figure out how can you be a more intelligent climate philanthropist? What have you learned about that? I I don't think that philanthropy can solve the world's problems. I think we need to put system, robust systems in place that can reinforce themselves. And that's why I focus on economic solutions. Let me be a little bit more honest and say, again, negative freedom. I hate um, policy, so I hate forcing people to do things is, is, is honestly the big reason why I focus on economic solutions. But the, the machine works so much more efficiently. You can scale up a business so much more quickly than you can scale up a, I don't know, a presidential campaign or something. Like, um, it's great to donate money. In fact, I think it's the best thing you can do with your money is to give it to someone who, who needs it more than you because then you're, you know, you're living out that enlightened self-interest. You're being the ultimate self, the best you can possibly be. And your life is defined kind of by what you spend. If you spend it on yourself, you're going to be a, a glutton who is full of, I don't know, full of BS, <laughs> in my opinion. You could live a, a happy life by, by providing a life of service. Um, 
what what have I learned the, the climate situation is uh, the solutions are there. I mean, that's the biggest thing I've learned from the podcast is like everything we need to fix not only climate change, but um, all the any problem, global problem you're thinking of in your head, they call them wicked problems because they're so hard to solve. All the solutions are there and exist. You just need support for people who you've never heard of. And that's one of the reasons why I love bringing um, not like really famous people on my podcast. I love bringing like local entrepreneurs, like this woman, Danielle Bell. She just runs a, a gardening service in Wisconsin, now a landscaping service in Wisconsin. And she just plants native plants. And she watches the butterflies come back to people's properties because they planted long grass and killed everything. And now there's no life there anymore. But she brings back life to one area at a time and makes a huge difference in her community and, and lives a happy life for herself. It's not, it's not difficult. If you think about who you are and actually how you want to spend your time, the most important thing you do is your job. So if you're working for JP Morgan Chase, who's funding oil tycoons who don't give a shit because they're going to die at some point with all their money that they're going to pass to their kid, um, you're, you're wasting your opportunity to live a life of meaning and purpose. Now you can define that however you want, but um, like your job is essential. And if you're focusing on how much money you can make, it's not going to get you to where you want to be. One of the biggest realizations, how I got to be doing CCR is um, like, I was, I read this book, the millionaire real estate agent. And I had a, finally for the first time, I had a clear formula of how to, how to make lots of money. So in my mind, I'm like a visionary thinker. If you guys might not be able to tell, I think from the future backwards and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have all this money. What am I going to do with it? It's like, what, like I'm already by, by having my own business, I'm already doing what I want every single day. Why do I need to make more money? So then I can get what I want. This, this endless cycle of trying to build more and more and more and more wealth isn't going to make you happy. What's going to make you happy is being happy, which means being true to yourself, thinking about who you are and who you want to be each day and then being it. That's it. Um, sorry, uh, climate change. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, we could I, it. I asked you, you got into this to learn about how do you, how can you be a better climate philanthropist? What have you learned about that? Um, how do you, how do we contribute? What are the, uh, when people want to give to climate uh, solution, oh. What have you learned about that? Are there good solutions, bad solutions? Are there ways to think about it? Are there criteria that you use to filter them? Um... So I started off, again, arrogant with my business. I'm going to learn and decide where to give the money. And starting this year, now I don't want to decide ever again. It's up to the individual person to decide where to donate. Initially, I was going to pick the organizations. And what I wanted to do was hire someone to study the stuff, and then they pick it. But as long as the, the decision lied with me, I knew it, I could trust it. But um, I knew I knew I wasn't going to have the answers to this. Um, but if you want to think about it in a very simple way, um, again, I, I want to stress that we don't. It's not as like affirmed. Like we know for a fact increase because of the greenhouse effect. It's a simple thing you learn in school. The, the picture with the sun coming into the greenhouse and the, the arrow bouncing up and down. If there's increased greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, the temperature goes up. What's going to happen after that? We have really good data, but it's not as good as the data that says that the, the temperature is going up. So when it comes to climate change, if you want to think about it really simple, and it's not really simple, 
How can we bring down CO2 emissions in the atmosphere? That's what you hear all the talk about. So there are a lot of ways to do that. We can suck it out of the atmosphere with direct air capture. We can suck it out of the atmosphere using phytoplankton, using upwelling and downwelling that creates more phytoplankton, which sequesters carbon. We can, um, we can do ocean mineralization where there are rocks that when the sun hits the rock, it sucks in the carbon. We can reforest. That's what you hear a lot about. We can plant more trees and the trees will grow. We can plant mangrove trees, which sequester 10 times as much carbon as normal trees. Or, or we can re- increase the health of our soils, which is awesome because the soil is actually a living thing. If you didn't know, the soil is alive. And there are microorganisms in there that are eating, that are creating nitrogen and phosphorus and feeding the, the plants. Um, that's a huge one. That's a, one, a big one we need to do. Um, and of course, we need to stop emitting. So that was the carbon removal side that I was talking about, remove carbon waste. On the decarbonation side, it's really complicated because you get into telling people how they should live. People talk about not driving anymore. People talk about living in communities. People talk about not burning coal, which is I'm on board with. Not burning oil, I'm on board with. Um, what have I learned about the solution? There's a We need to do them all, people will say, and I agree. Um, at the end of the day, if you're asking me my opinion about what I've learned and where I'm at right now and my journey changes every day, I've got three podcasts I'm recording right after we get off of this to learn more. Um, we need to live regeneratively. And that's exactly the same as enlightened self-interest, considering others above yourself, giving more than you take, living regeneratively, creating more life by your direct actions. In that case, increasing the life in the soil will will make the plants live more, live healthier, which will produce fruit that's more nutrient dense, which will feed people, which will allow people to live uh, a healthier life and able to be more productive. I really don't have too much insight on what we we need to do besides there's just a lot of ways to reduce carbon in the atmosphere. And uh, we need to do that in order to maintain this state of equilibrium that we've seen throughout the Holocene epoch, which is what we've been living in, where most where all of human civilization has existed. Um, They talk about it all. Solar, wind, hydroelectric, nuclear is not talked about enough. We could nuclear is zero carbon. Um, what's the what's the role of, of non profit? Uh, these are all good climate solutions, but what's the role of non profits in this whole thing? When you're giving to a non profit, what what are the best things that they can do? They can do things that aren't economically viable at this point in time. The way I see all non profits is kind of like a holdover solution until we can actually fix the economy so it works fully regeneratively. So like I was talking about, like I had a whole podcast on mangroves. Like mangroves sequester 10 times more carbon than normal trees. Like rebuilding a mangrove forest, if you if, if, if besides carbon credits, there's no like monetary direct economic value to mangrove forests. But they're so awesome. They provide so much life to so many different things. They're a coastal ecosystem that ha- that can support all sorts of life and draw down so much carbon. So a philanthropist can fund, and in fact, one just did, I think in Costa Rica, 
a $50 million project to go and replant this mangrove forest. And you can see the, the monkeys come back. I don't know if monkeys live in mangrove forests, but you could see like the monkeys and the fish come back and, and life, life is innately valuable for itself. They can, they can insert value, like your values. You can use a nonprofit to kind of exert your, your values or your desire to create positive impact in the world through this vehicle that they've created. Um, and there's all sorts of different nonprofits doing amazing things. Um, what we just, we need a price on carbon. You, you want to hear about nonprofits, like they all do amazing work. But if you're asking me, the guy who gives half his money to nonprofits, we need them to not exist. We need the market to fix everything for us because there is a way where we can live, where everything we do creates more life and makes the world a better place. We just need to figure out how to do that. And until then, until you can, until a creative entrepreneur can come up with a way to monetize solutions, um, nonprofits are the, uh, the the way to do that in the short term. And that could be feeding the homeless, um, sexual health, women's education, anything. That all needs to be systematic and consistently grown through a system. And until it, it because our, our government might not work efficiently, our market might not work efficiently because of corruption, until we can fix that stuff, the nonprofits can can provide the, the essential piece we need to give us more time to eventually do that. That's what I think but not everyone will agree. And I would hope not. So it sounds like in your mind, the nonprofit sector, you know, Elon Musk is uh, decarbonizing transportation and he's not doing it with a nonprofit. So there are ways that the market can solve things. And there's a lot of cool things that they're doing. And there's a lot of things that the government can do, like impose a tax on carbon, but there's still a lot of things that are not being done yet. And that's the space for nonprofits to kind of envision the future, the regenerative future that we want to see that the government is not doing and that the free market is not doing yet. And that's the role for the nonprofit is to envision the future that we want and to kind of be like the, like fill the gap kind of until the others get their act together. They're, they're funded. They're a business funded on love, you know, nonprofits. That's kind of what it is. And I mean, that could go really, really far. So, you know, God bless the nonprofit sector, but in the long term, it needs to be integrated into the way we do everything, I, I think, I think, which is uh, the naive optimism in me, the naive optimist speaking within me. Well, any any final words for this conversation? Yeah, I mean, if you've listened to this whole thing, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, my website, you can hit me up, send me an email whenever. Um, just like, think about like what you're doing every day. Like, do you want to be doing it? Like, I don't want to do everything I do. Like, I don't like cold emailing people. It's kind of annoying, but like once they answer, I get the opportunity to talk to someone amazing. It's great. Um, your life is in your own hands. Like do, do what makes sense to you and it's going to change and you're going to be confused and you're going to fail. And that's like what makes it all worth it at the end of the day. Cause then you can really uh, appreciate the success. My best piece of advice for everyone is to just uh, not care what anyone else thinks of you. What would your ultimate self, think of you now not with what would your mom not what would your teacher what would the best version of yourself think of who you are right now and uh you know do do what that person would do that's what i think ethan you're awesome thank you for sharing your time and doing everything you're doing and um and uh i i hope that um you're gonna your your best uh, interviews are yet to come and your best uh business ideas are yet to come and I think in five years or three years or a year, you're going to look back at your current understanding of your business and like laugh 
and you're going to see the seed of like the next thing. And the next thing is going to be even bigger and more, um, I guess, strategic. And it, you're just going to continue to, the more you learn, um, the more strategic you're going to be. And you're going to, these huge forces in society, you're going to figure out a way to ride them like a surfer rides a wave. And you're going to have like much, much, much bigger impact. So I think that the best is yet to come. And I'm excited to, I love that you learn publicly. And I really appreciate that about you. So I hope you have a good rest of the day, Ethan. I appreciate you too, man. Right on. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.